Hello everyone, Remo Keyboards here. Welcome to another episode of the Leap Takers podcast, the podcast for the curious, where I'm trying to interview daring entrepreneurs, investors and shapers in areas that fascinate me personally, but I think also have a significant impact on our generation and the ones beyond. So I'm excited that you're here. And in today's episode, you will hear from an entrepreneur that is truly a leap taker because uh, him and his team, they are working on a technology that sounds very revolutionary and could have significant impact on the world around us and how we perceive it. And yeah, this might take a few years, but I think it's a very impressive project that they're working on. So who is my guest today? His name is Nielsen Kufus. He is the co-founder of Nomoko, a technology company that is building photorealistic 3D models of entire cities. Imagine that. They call it the mirror world. So it's like a digital copy, a digital twin of, let's say, a city that you, your city that you live in. And this will then be made available to different industries that can make use of it and enable exciting applications, for example, in the area of self-driving cars, gaming or urban planning. Regarding Nielsen's background, he obtained a degree in liberal arts and sciences from the University College Maastricht in the Netherlands, and he's also a former Swiss figure skating champion. As always, you probably were expecting it. I'm also starting off this episode with another quote that I like and that I think fits to this episode. So here it goes. If you're always winning, you're not trying hard enough. Short and sweet. So this one is from Chris Gillibo. Maybe you're familiar with the name. Um, I like this quote a lot and I think uh, we'll also talk about it briefly in this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Nilsson, to the Leap Takers podcast. Very great that we can record here in your offices. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, so I think a great place to start would be just if you give me a quick intro in who you are, what you're building with, with Nomoko, and kind of just how you would introduce yourself at the cocktail party. Oh, <laughs> well, at the cocktail party very differently. Um, no, I'm Nilsson, one of the co-founders of Nomoko, sorry, the company. Um, I think today is actually our four-year anniversary. Right, yes. congrats. It's it's completely amazing. So this is a coincidence. Um, we completely miss um, or, or didn't plan anything. So this is <laughs> what we kind of uh, <laughs> uh, fucked it up. We have our minds elsewhere. Um, now, how would I introduce myself? I think there is um, two different questions. I think how I introduce myself today is... Uh, I think I very strongly um, connect with the badge of being an entrepreneur. I think this is... Um, what my job description is. I think this is this is what I am. This is who I am, and I really see it as a job. I think there is there's um, as there's other jobs. I think it's just something that you build companies. This is just my responsibility now. Um, this is what I feel comfortable with, um, and that's what I hope I will be blessed to be doing the rest of my life. Who I am as a in a larger context. Um, I'm a, I'm a father very happily since. Uh, couple of months um, oh, that congratulations you, thank you um best thing so far um so that completely changed my life um in a positive way and um apart from that i was an athlete for 14 years so i did figure skating I was once national champion i think i'm someone who likes to think about the future and kind of lives uh, three years down that path i think this is this is who i am i think i'm someone who is very optimistic 
um, till the last fiber of my bone, I think this is a, a very good, um, or I think is an important first step of being an entrepreneur. I think if you're not optimistic all the way, you will you will crumble of all the, the obstacles you're gonna, you're gonna face no matter what you do, no matter how successful you are. And um, apart from that, I think I'm, I'm a very, I try to be very open and, and down to earth and at the same time, very visionary. So that's, I think, a, a strange combo to have. Um, I think I try to be a very, I don't know how to say the humanistic is, is the right word, but uh, a very, give, give leadership a very human touch on the one hand, I think, um, and on the other hand, still be very goal-oriented. I think this is also something which is a difficult mix to combine. And I think this is something which throughout myself, throughout my life has been a constant set on, on the other. On the one hand, I'm, I'm, I studied mathematics, I'm, I'm very analytical. And on the other hand, I, I did a very creative sport with figure skating. Um, so I also have that part in me. So I'm, I'm kind of this, I think one of, of the net, not that many people on, on the planet, which have those both sides kind of in me and uh, sometimes they're contradicting and sometimes they're synergetically and that's um, what I have to navigate myself. <laughs> you mentioned you're like an entrepreneur through and through and uh, how did you discover that you're so interested in starting your own venture? Uh, was there a specific time or experience that, that uh, kind of led you down this path? Yeah, there was a very um, particular moment. I still remember it extremely well. It was part of my studies. Um, I studied in Maastricht at the University College there. A very good program, by the way, if you want to become a future entrepreneur, because we could choose from roughly 200 courses uh, completely freely. So we had actually, I was basically doing whatever I want in, in terms of that boundary of those 200 courses. Um, that helps me now a lot. And uh, Maastricht had, um, at the time, I, I hope they still have it, the Maastricht Week of Entrepreneurship, which was part of the Global um, Entrepreneurship Week. Um, they organized a series of events and I still remember that feeling like walking into the venue and, and kind of feeling at home and I think this is something which I, I rarely had that I immediately connected with the crowd with the, the, the people with the questions with the discussions um, around everything and and I still remember that moment really really well it was like oh yeah this is this is my kind of people and I think this is something very important that you can identify with yourself with that audience as well I think if you go down a path and um, if you're an artist you somehow have to be able to connect with that audience. If you're um, an athlete, you have to be able to connect with that audience. If you are a manager, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an investor and so on, I think that's super important. Um, I had that moment at that that uh, event. And then from there onwards, I developed different ideas. I think looking backwards, um, I come from a family where my, my parent is self-employed. My, my grandparents both were self-employed. One of them had um, is an entrepreneur himself. So I think I had a little bit of baggage kind of uh, genetically or or historically um, I'm coming into this. And I think um, um, that was in me already for a very, very long time. Uh, and I, I simply verbalized it or realized it myself um, in that very moment. So was that a intentional decision to go to Maastricht to, to study there because of the entrepreneurial environment? Not because of the entrepreneurial environment. I think the, the program really talked to me um, when I looked at it and I think... Um, bit of an unconventional decision at the time because it was not a program which was um, known very well. It's an American program to start with. Actually, a friend of mine um, made me aware of the program. It was in a, in a life phase where I think I, I just stopped figure skating. Um, so I was in a in transitional period between that kind of life and a new life. Really liked the outlook, really liked the description, really liked the courses that they would offer. And, and I think I, I just saw for myself 
that element they have um what was very interesting they have also skills courses so the whole um setup of our liberal arts and, and science colleges that you have um, a multidisciplinary education so you combine the arts with the sciences in that sense so we have uh, for courses from modeling nature to world history that are kind of compulsory um, and then you have every eight weeks you have two courses that you have to visit and then one what is called a skill course um, and I think so it was a um, and then you have those for eight weeks and then you would switch for the next eight weeks and then you would switch again for a project period so I think also that program really talked to me they, they have this method of problem-based learning the whole program was in English which was another plus point um, so I think that was um, that was a conscious decision that this then sparked a very entrepreneurial environment I think was a bit of a lucky shot I think that was not something which was planned ahead um, we even kind of initiated a course on entrepreneurship with um, a group of friends and actually Bara who's running our podcast as well um, together with Cedric I got to know her and she was part of that course as well when we when we were at university because I got to know her there yeah and the other two people part of the course also started their own companies afterwards so so somehow I, I slipped into like in kind of a very very small ecosystem and I think Maastricht has 14,000 students and maybe I don't know 40,000 um, people living there something like this don't quote me on this but so I was also very lucky to be in that very kind of close like yeah, I mean, it's a village, right? It's not like Berlin. So you're not naturally exposed to it. So um, on that part, I was very lucky. Cool. And I mean, you said some of your friends also started companies afterwards. So there must have been something about, about the place in, inspiring people to, um, yeah, to, to venture out and do their own thing. Maybe just to get the background right, but where were you based before you moved to, to Maastricht? Yes, I was um, I'm born and raised here in Zurich. Um, so this is where I started. This is where I went to ETH as well. Um, lived abroad for for skating, um, so was not all the time here, and then basically um, came back to Zurich and then made a conscious decision to to move to Maastricht. I think it was also part of the the journey at the time to say I want to to live somewhere else, I want to be away from home and, and experience that living on yourself. I think that was an important part as well, and I think that's something which also triggers that entrepreneurial mindset that you have to get out of your comfort zone, you have to be um, on your own feet and, and, and all of that, I think, um, especially with that particular university, and I think this is why the American system in, in that front works so well, is because everyone is moving away from home, so there's very, very few people which actually come from Maastricht and study there. So everyone is moving away from home and they have to make new friends and they have to network and they have to really open up themselves, otherwise they just stay alone for the next three years. Um, and I think this is something which comes along when you when you switch places when you study um that really helps you as an entrepreneur um later on because you're going to be thrown into situations over and over again where you basically have to start from scratch from zero build a network um and find people to connect with and i think that's a super important skill um that you learn with such a move yeah yeah that's very valuable and i, I fully agree with that i mean most entrepreneurs i've met personally they lived abroad, they studied abroad, they did an exchange or just something that opened up their, their mind and also gave them different perspectives. So yeah, I think that's very true. Um, could you tell me about then the next step? So you started Nomoko and what is the company and uh, what are you trying to build or what are you working on? 
so as a company, we're want to be the provider for the, the infrastructure for the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, and that sounds like super abstract now. Um, on a more concrete level, that basically means you want to build a complete three-dimensional environment, a complete digital replica of the world around us, um, that then machines can interact with that in a seamless um, way. We have that notion that we want to make the world uh, machine-readable. Why is this now at the core of the fourth industrial revolution is that basically the hypothesis is that the digital and the physical world, world they start to merge together. Um, we have autonomous vehicles as an example. We have Internet of Things as an example. We have augmented reality as an example, smart cities, and all of this are kind of early ambassadors of that next big revolution um, where the digital world is is directly interacting with the physical world around us. And I think this is a complete mental shift where suddenly you don't have to consume your digital content on a device, on a screen, but it basically is, is wherever you are. It's, it's wherever we are in the world. An autonomous vehicle, they have to make decisions based on the world around them completely on themselves. So at that very moment, uh, a computer system is not interacting with the screen anymore, but a computer system is interacting with the physical world around us um, directly and autonomously. Um, and, and for that to happen, um, that notion of having a machine-readable world is, is the basis, is that infrastructure. Um, and we took the path to say, if we digitalize the world as it is, as close as possible, then we basically can provide that machine-readable interface to the world. I think we took it a couple of steps further where we said in the end that such a large ecosystem and there's this notion of the, the mirror world, which is actually this, that um, digital replica, and we need to make it possible for anyone to utilize that mirror world in order to build an application on top. So we have to make it possible for any game designer, for any augmented reality designer, for any urban planner, for any architect, for any developer working on autonomous robots robotic systems to build something utilizing or using this mirror world because there's so many different applications from kind of very targeted to very very large at the same time there's a lot of data which is feeding into this mirror world the mirror world is an, an assembly of different types of data so the 3d world is one aspect of it but then you have pedestrians you have um, you have for instance energy consumption of a house you have a contract you have all of this data which is around us which can be geolocated or assigned to, a, to an object in space. And all of this data has to come together. So there's a lot of data collectors and a lot of data that we don't collect as a company ourselves. So we have to make it possible for them to add this data. Um, and then we have to, as a company, provide that base layer, which today is a 3D model, and then the data infrastructure to make everything into one cohesive piece. And of course, within that ecosystem, you have the notion of an app store for those mirror world applications, and you have that notion of a marketplace for, for data to come. And um, our job is to make this one cohesive piece um, and enable the ecosystem to utilize this as a, as a kind of infrastructure to build their businesses around it. This sounds like a very futuristic and, and bold project to, to undertake. And how did you even, uh, how did you get the idea first, maybe? And then what were your first actionable steps that you took to yeah. founding the company? So the, the idea originated actually from, from my studies. Um, I think it was a time where uh, volumetric capturing was, uh, was becoming a thing. Uh, volumetric capturing, for, for those who are not familiar with the term, is basically a camera is recording 2D space, right? So that was the, the first step that you could basically make a snapshot of a three-dimensional world in a 2D plane, and then you would have a 2D photo that you can, you can print out. Um, volumetric capture is actually the, the process of capturing a three-dimensional space in the first place. Um, and I, I think this, as a term started to really pop up um, five, six years ago, with different techniques and different technologies um, involved in that. And then I think that was a sparking point to say, wow, 
if you could do this, I mean, imagine then the whole holodeck from from would be possible. The whole notion of augmented reality would be possible. Um, and then you start to realize, well, that also would mean that suddenly the world is is invent or is represented as an inventory. So I, at that moment, you actually make it accessible to machines, and they can crawl this inventory. You can search it. You can utilize it for different purposes. So then you start to actually start to realize what would happen if this on a global scale would happen. And, and then you maybe realize why Google started Google Earth in the first place, but, but never got to that point. Um, and then you start to re-get into it. So this is this is how everything started uh, from the notion of of how can you create like very large 3D spaces. We ourselves then developed the camera as a starting point because we realized we need to have more resolution or more level of detail than, than what is currently available. When you look at models from Google Earth, they're simply not detailed enough in order to be that that infrastructure. And that was then another starting point where we started our technical development. From a company that was, I think technical development was only a second step. The first step was for, for myself to say, where do I want to start a company? And then the second, and the related question with whom? The where question, um, Maastricht was out of the picture because there was not enough technical talent. And uh, I think it's not the place to, to 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 grow such a company and such an ambitious goal out of it. Um, looked at Berlin, looked at London, looked at Zurich. In the end, a decision fall back to Zurich um, for two major reasons. Reasons we have ETH here with, I think, three of the most renowned computer vision labs worldwide. Uh, so you have the talent in the first place. Um, and because I know my way around Zurich, been growing up here. I have a network here. I have my parents here. I have. That support infrastructure, which I think is extremely valuable when you start a company. I think you, you need all the support you can have, especially when you do it the first time um, around. So that's why then I chose Zurich. And then I, I started to look out who could be my co-founders, who could be the people helping me on that endeavor. And then with, with Kevin and Vincent, we sat together and actually decided to start the company. We said, can we actually find the talent here? And that was one of the first questions we raised ourselves. And then uh, the moment we actually had the first work contract signed by people, that was the moment when we, when we decided to incorporate the company. So that was for us a very important milestone to actually identify, well, yes, first of all, the talent is here. Second of all, we can attract it for our company and we can actually sign them. And that was then the starting point. That's how we started here. How many were you when you started? Um, so we uh, were, were, th were three co-founders. We, I think, then had, when we incorporated the company, I think we had three or four people already on the payroll at that very moment or signed us as, as employees. Um, so we had the kind of um, steep starting point because we also realized the, the technical challenge or the challenge at, at such is so large. It's not something we can we can basically build um, with a very small team for like, I don't know, a year or six months or something. And then we have something um, I'm ready. So we're well aware of that. And, and then I think we started to scale up the team quite rapidly afterwards. Did you bootstrap the company or did you get VC funding right away? Yeah, so we, we did a family and so triple F kind of round right after the incorporation of the company. So we're very fortunate that we could get those investors on board very early on. And that helped us to kind of get over the first 12 months to, to have, deliver the first proof of concepts. And then we were lucky or not lucky. We were fortunate that we could uh, attract another round of investors, which then basically covered the next two rounds Um and um, that brought us now to the point where we are 35 people um, as a company. And I think that's that's something which I'm, I'm very grateful for, that we had that opportunity to actually onboard those investors um, early on as a company. Uh, we don't have any VCs or any um, institutional investors um, by choice because we knew it's going to be a longer lasting 
um, project and we wanted to have people that invest their own money for for many different reasons i think they make different decisions uh, they open up their network in a different and and so far it has been has been a good choice maybe a, a question more related to how you built your your product so i think you mentioned you have your own recording <laughs> four hours later uh, yeah maybe i think what i <laughs> what i want to get at is you know as another founder if you I think you're either building a software or, or some service or then you manufacture a physical product. And so for you, it sounds like with manufacturing these cameras, this is a big uh, undertaking. And yeah, you need talent. You need to know how you manufacture that. Without getting into all the details, are there any you know takeaways you would take from, from your learning or from your experience there or with actually manufacturing a, a, a product like that? Yeah, I think I want to to bring this on a on a on a more broader perspective because I think we have a very very specific case for us. But I want to bring this on a on a broader perspective that we can have potentially running for others. Um, I I think we're one of those companies which, um, and I think this is something which is quite common where hardware is an enabling piece and that puts additional kind of um, constraints on the development. I think you see it now with a lot of drone companies, with a lot of delivery companies, all of this. They also have this element of, of hardware being not the product, but it's part of the service. It's an enabling piece. Um, you saw it with a lot of um, kind of mining companies where, where at some point they started to develop ASICs or, or FPGAs. And I think that's a common thread, right? Sometimes you can make hardware your competitive advantage, um, although it's not your end product, because our end product in the end is, is data and the platform and not not selling cameras or or software or, or I don't know, drone services or whatever is related to that. So in the end, we have the data and, and we acquire the data, whatever kind of needs it needs or take whatever it takes to, to make it happen. And then we put it into a platform. So in the end, our product is data slash um, software as a service kind of business model. But still, we have that component. When you look at, at technology development, maybe on a, on a broader sense, lessons learned, my God, um, so many just coming from from an offsite that we had with our kind of or with our extended management team so i'm i'm i don't want to get too much um into the same mode again um uh, and i want to condense the, the, the message a little bit key learnings i think i had a very nice moment with with um one of our our engineers lately and 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 the person said well you know i i wouldn't have imagined to be at that point where i am today um, if you would have asked me six months ago if he can be at that point. And I think that's a, an incredible nice compliment towards both him as a person, but also towards the company and towards kind of a a management style of, of developing technology. And that all originates a little bit in the in the fact that we started to, to apply a, a structure of you simply have to improve, right? So you start at some given point and everyone starts at some given point. And sometimes that point is not cutting edge sometimes that point is already cutting edge because you come out of a university but no matter what that starting point is you start have to iterate kind of in small steps sometimes those steps are larger sometimes they are smaller and and adding just iteration over iteration improvement over improvement i think this is the way forward um and if you really take this to heart i think a lot of entrepreneurs they have this long-term vision and you have this kind of big step that you want to achieve and this kind of big milestone but often i think that's not the most successful path and 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 i think it's extremely hard to pull that off um so really try to go very incremental step by step step by step step by step and even if you produce hardware 
try to because of course their the steps are are larger try to find a way to find those iterative steps i think that's in, insanely important um you're going to learn so much on that journey that you could not have predicted from from kind of your starting point because there's so much more data coming in throughout that development and the the ideal case is that you look back and say like wow freaking hell we 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 moved so much in such a short period of time that's your dream case scenario of course it's not always going to be the case sometimes you're going to look back and say damn where has all that time gone and we're still not like as far as we wanted to be um and i would say with most startups that's even the default kind of realization because everything takes a little bit longer than you than you initially anticipate but when you really stick very rigorously to that that a process of of going incrementally and and then i would add pairing it with an, a product approach to really say this is a strict product um and it's a product either for external purposes or for internal purposes and we're going to work towards that product and that product has features and that product has releases and that product is tested and that product is used and if no one is using it then it's simply not not going to be going to be further developed it's that simple even if it's an internal product um, if no one is in the end ending up using it, then that wasn't maybe a nice technical implementation of something, but it's not not being actively used. So it, it might not have had the value that you anticipated in the beginning. So pairing, um, and that's what, what we are doing as well now, um, a very, very strong product approach um, and extend that beyond the, the products that your customers see, but also products that you see internally um, with a kind of very rigorous improvement after improvement after improvement um, mentality i think that that gives you um, a very good combo and did you manufacture it all by yourself or do you outsource certain aspects of it uh, yeah we we chose to to outsource certain um i think especially manufacturing i think there is the asian countries are just insanely good at this um and i want, don't want to get too deep into the topic but i i met um, a colleague who is doing they're doing a ro robotic system um and they have one of their prototyping and i think they're a very small company still so they have one of their prototyping offices in shenzhen for the for the single reason that they can get much faster access to components much shorter duration times um i think today uh, when, when you listen also in the valley around the, the common agreement is that China is simply so fast at this. I think if you're afraid that people are going to steal or copy you, I think then then you should not be an entrepreneur in these, this this day and age. That's going to happen anyway. So you have to to your battleground is the market, not your supplier who is maybe copying you. Um, if that supplier is better at marketing your product, um, I think then you have a different problem. For us, it was a very specific challenge because it's not a mass market or it's not something. It's just for internal use, right? So it's not something we're going to sell. So that's of course makes it way more difficult to navigate that, that those supplier relationships. Yeah, but overall, I think if you do hardware, go to China. Yeah, a good good lesson for for other founders here. Now, yeah, we we talked about the hardware aspect, and now more towards yeah, like the platform, uh, this marketplace for for this mirror world that you're building. What use case are you most excited about that this can enable, or where do you see the most potential actually? Um, most potentially, and I think most excited are, are potentially two different things. Okay. I'll start with the most excited. I think there is the exciting part is there is going to be so many applications we haven't even thought of, which which will which will happen. That this is, I mean, as an industry, this is going to transform our daily lives. I mean, from 
from doing payments based on where you are located as a person that that you don't have to actually pay anymore but you just walk out of the restaurant and it all, it's automatically paid through defining those what we call what, what i would call more more spatial workflows that if you pass by or if you're on your way home that actually your autonomous vehicle is realizing that just been placed a, a request to get something or to get toilet paper and uh, you know that the, the gas station that you're passing by has toilet paper and then you're rerouted either it's an autonomous vehicle or it's your own navigational system to actually get that one those are the kind of things which i think will really transform the way we interact with the world around us uh, personally i think i'm i'm really looking forward to entertainment um, kind of pieces so any type of games any type of, of ar experiences which are really kind of city scale so i'm thinking back a little bit of, of pokemon go but this time not location based but actually really um, in an augmented way um, where you have i don't know avengers um, battling themselves um, over zurich um, i think these kind of things i'm just going to be like a little little kid um, super curious at the one time and, and just like super excited um, yeah yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. And definitely, I think, a big opportunity there. I mean, especially since I think the gaming industry is only getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, the growing yeah. yeah. So you are digitizing or like you're creating models from cities mainly, right? And uh, yeah. Yeah. kind of I think you do Zurich and how far is your progress there? And kind of what are cities on your roadmap that you're looking at? Um, yeah, exactly. So we, we made a choice to focus on cities specifically because I think they're the the hub where a lot of things are coming together um, from of course people to economic activity to innovation to companies so this is this, these are the, the the hubs of i think the modern world um so that's why we started there uh, because we have as a company have to the core cost is basically the acquisition of the data and uh, today we believe that um, if you compare it to for instance acquiring the data of a mountain uh, probably acquiring the data of manhattan is more is more valuable on a, on a global scheme um, so that's why we chose cities. And the cities currently in the pipeline is is um, Zurich and Zug, for very pragmatic reasons because they're around the corner. Um, they're our home base. Um, we've already mapped large parts of it and and are releasing it um, to our better clients. Uh, first part is already released. Um, second part is released in from today ten days. Um, so that's going to be when the podcast releases. Um, it's always go- already going to be released. Um, are increasing our beta testers from ten to forty five within that kind of um, second batch. So this is the the progress on that side, and then afterwards we're we're basically looking to to expand into international cities, um, next to to to, to Swiss cities. I think then it's um, a question of just acquiring as many cities as as fast as possible. This is this is the very kind of simplified strategic plan for us as a company. And how do I have to imagine this? Like, are there these drones just flying over the city slowly recording and creating these three D models, or what's the best that the, like a listener can imagine how it works? You probably will not notice that much. <laughs> um, I think we did a lot of testing around what is um, an acceptable kind of um, height level slash disturbance level within a city. So we, we fly at a height where you still see the drone, but um, noise is not, not a big issue anymore. So only if you really like pay attention to it, you actually hear it. Um, yes, we're doing the most from, from aerials or from drones. We start and land them within the cities, um, have a fully automated kind of capturing path that is linked to it. Um, so the whole thing is very unintrusive. That was an important part for, for scalability. Yeah, and if you've been in, in Zurich the past kind of two, three weeks, in, you should have potentially seen one. Um, and I, I can't say, like, today I had a friend who's like, ah, yeah, I saw your, your drone in Zug. Um, so I think these are always nice nice moments. Um, I had an investor meeting while 
John was was mapping um, above our heads. I was like, ah, oh, I, I imagine it to be like way more like difficult or way more like uh, nefarious. Like, no, it's it's actually quite. It's super straightforward these days. Okay, okay good. I, I'll keep an eye yeah. out <laughs> on one of your drones. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think this was a very interesting overview in, in what you're doing with Nomoko. And I definitely think this is a project that is different from a lot of the other ones out there in the market because you're really building something that will can change the world and uh, uh, has a big impact. Yeah. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, thanks. Was there anything you wanted to add to Nomoko or otherwise I think I would switch more to, you know, advice and personal questions, which is also very interesting to the audience? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Okay. For, for Nomoko, we have the Nomoko podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe uh, <laughs> advertising for our own purposes. Uh, yeah. yeah, feel free. Uh, so what is the podcast called and what are you actually discussing there? I think it's the, the Nomoko podcast. Um, so very straightforward. Um we're among the top 20, I think this is this still baffles me, uh, top 20 podcasts within Switzerland in terms of, of listeners. So I'm like very proud of that and big achievement um, to Cedric and Barra for that one. Um, we're basically going through different topics of, of us as a company, but we also have guests coming over. Um, we discuss different topics that we learn as entrepreneurs um, and just try to give something to the, to the community um, in a sense, what it means to take a, to, to start a company, but also what it means, um, what the mirror world means basically as an ecosystem um, to come. Okay, yeah, very cool. So everyone uh, can check that one out as well. Highly recommend it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, then my first question would really be as an aspiring entrepreneur, now you, you did four years of, of Nomoko. What are your key takeaways that if you would start all over again, uh, that you would tell yourself now as a, as a younger you? Uh, your key learnings that could make life easier life easier or faster <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe easier first. <laughs> easy, no e easier i think um easier there is no easier or I mistakes think, that you could avoid yeah yeah um i think easier is really like um when you go down an entrepreneurial path be ready for a roller coaster no matter what i think every entrepreneur you talk to will t tell you the same story um, if you find someone that says, well, it was all um, nice and easy and always uh, uh, easy peasy chilly fun, um, either that person is an authorical liar or just the luckiest person in the planet. Um, or so it's going to be... <laughs> or didn't try hard enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or didn't, was not ambitious enough in, in, in his or her goals. Um, no, I think if, if you want to build a global company, it's going to be a hassle from day one. Um, so easier is, I think, not the, the, the term to look for, but a lot of lessons learned, of course. Um, I think some of them you have to do yourself, otherwise you don't learn them. It's called experience for a reason and not knowledge. Um, so I think that experience is something which is, which is important and sometimes those, those mistakes have to hurt. Um, I think my, uh, a lot of times I think your, your surrounding maybe ask you questions which, which you find are annoying. Um, but then looking backwards, they were actually not that annoying. They they come from from that experience, and sometimes it's it's hard as a fresh entrepreneur to to take those questions on. Um, so I always advise, and that's what I see. Actually, see the most difficult part when you advise also young entrepreneurs is to get that experience across. Right, I think that's um, something which is insanely hard because um, sometimes you have to just through lift those those moments. Uh, key learnings um, to be more specific. I think one important aspect that I learned um, is 
the really the, the, the operational stage management part of a company. We, we introduce something that's called a PMO, project management office. And those are, I think, uh, tools and functions which are insanely helpful in order to steer the company. And I think at some point I made the analogy that if you want to steer a company, you need to, to have a couple of things at your hand. You need to have a steering wheel. That's the first part, right? If you don't have a steering wheel, you cannot go. You need to have a goal where you want to end up. You need to have kind of an end point. Um, you need to have a map. And you need to have a path plan, kind of, right? Um, so only when you have those four elements, you can actually successfully steer a company. And and I would say many, many startups, they might have an endpoint. That endpoint is shifting quite a lot. They have actually quite good steering wheel because they're small, they're nimble. They're, they're in touch with what they're doing. They might or probably are missing a map um, of their environment and they're probably missing a path to be on. And I think those two elements um, can be given by structures such as a project management office, by someone who is experienced in that. Um, I think that would be one of my key learnings, get that managerial experience, that organizational experience in fast if you don't have it yourself. Um, sometimes you have more seasoned entrepreneurs which, which already have that. But I think this time we're talking to more kind of first-time entrepreneurs. Get that organizational slash manager, managerial um, part in Second part, I would say, um, uh, I think I, I see a common common aspect with entrepreneurs to be very optimistic, very focused on, on the positive parts. Sometimes that, that leads in, in conflict avoidance. I think it's insanely important to to raise or, or to to tackle the conflicts, right? To go right at it, especially when also with, with, with um, co-workers, simply, or not simply, I mean, it's insanely hard, but get to a point where you have very honest conversations with people. Um, our experience is most of the time, if you're not feeling well with another person, that person also doesn't feel well in that in that kind of combination or has concerns or has something which is not working the way they wanted to. So simply um, speak it out very directly and say, listen, this is this is what I feel. Um, this is how I, I think uh, the current situation is. Um, this and this and this and this is not working well. What is maybe the reason? And, and go right at it. Um, don't discuss it with 10 other people before. Uh, go straight to the source. I think this is a, a big learning that just makes it so much more efficient. Um, and I think the other one is that something um, I started um, to, to slowly adopt is to first communicate what is actually, and this is a strange sound, um, to have a first agreement on this is what... I understood you were saying, um, because I think there's a lot of, uh, when you have conversations around topics, a lot is communication linked and a lot is about uh, misunderstandings. And then you, you spend hours discussing about something which actually is not even even a problem. So I, I try to start like more difficult conversations with, listen, this is what my understanding of the situation is. It's my interpretation of what you said. This is my interpretation of uh, of the facts. Are we aligned with that interpretation in the first place? And if we're aligned, I think then you can already kind of skip 60% of the discussion and you can get to the point, okay, how do we now solve those points? That's for me a big lessons learned. Um, but that also means you have to really work on yourself, improve those things. I think no one is born a leader. You are really made into that. You have to improve yourself. And those are, I think, those three parts for me are the most important. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. So next question would be, 
do you have any favorite resources, knowledge resources that um, supported you in your, in your entrepreneurial journey? Can it be books, podcasts, uh, videos, uh, documentaries, anything? I, I hope you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy extended the question from books to um, other educational experiences. Um, I'm, I'm not a big book reader, as my friends know, um, for the better or the worse. Um, it's just not It's just not my medium. Actually, through our own podcast, I really got into podcasts. I, I highly appreciate the medium because it, you can you can listen it while commuting. Um, and, and as Cedric always said, it's a, it's a passive medium, so I'm very happy on that front. One of the podcasts as an entrepreneur that I absolutely love is the A16Z podcast um, from Adresden Horowitz um, from the fund. I think they have um, an insanely good mix between finding very relevant people and you have CEOs of Novartis and, and, and Blizzard and all of those like very, very high profiles with um, with very good interviewees. Um, so it's a very good pairing um, and they manage to find a balance between depth. So really to give reasonable insight, really like valuable insight and still be, be understandable by someone who is not from that particular kind of industry or field um, very well. They have just amazing guests um i, I think this is a, a really big source of inspiration now you're gonna laugh linkedin has become very important for me in terms of of sourcing good articles um i think most of my my linkedin colleagues are entrepreneurs or vcs or or, or industry specialists so they share a lot of articles and, and that has become very kind of a very important tool uh, in order to find information um and then i think with time your network is really going to make a difference so i always learn from kind of person to person interactions um that's always the ones which which um bring me a lot and actually the 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 time to to kind of take a step back right so you're always in this rush and you always kind of um want to work more and want to make this but i think that the big moments i always had when i when i actually put my phone aside didn't answer all the emails took a weekend got a little bit of distance and then had a fresh kind of mind to to digest everything that was coming in and then suddenly see the picture a bit clearer. I think those moments are extremely important. Oh, sorry. Great. And I think, yeah, the, the people part, I, I can only uh, underline. Good. Then two last questions. One of them would be, if you have any advice to your younger self, like not business-related advice, just kind of what would you tell your... Uh, 10 year younger self always oh, those hard questions my god <laughs> <laughs> um i i, I to, to be honest i'm i'm very very happy where i am today um in, in terms of experiences in terms of learnings and and i'm a bit like a i'm a, I'm a person i don't want to jinx it in a sense i don't know if i would be the same person if i would be if i wouldn't have had those experiences right so the the the, the device I would potentially give myself, and I would not understand it. So that's the that's the problem, right? Be more confident with your your gut feeling earlier on. Um, I think there were so many situations where it was like my my stomach kind of told me this is this is this is how it's going to play out, and somehow I didn't follow through. Um, and I'm getting more and more confident at at those situations, um, and that's super paradoxical because because uh, like. The way I got into the studies and, and got into entrepreneurship was because I trusted my gut feeling very, very strong. So I always thought that I, I'm, I'm someone who can trust his gut feeling and, and actually call on it um, strongly. But I think only throughout time, um, I realized that I'm, I'm not doing it enough. 
so that's that's something I would pass on to be more confident quicker with my own own gut feeling. Thank you for sharing that. And then since this podcast is called the Leap Takers Podcast, my last question is always, what does courage mean to you? Courage for for me means to to go against the common belief. Um, and I and I think what we underestimate and or the reason why I, I think this is, is courage because that means you're basically um, exposing yourself um, to be ridiculed, right? And I think that's the most scary part in, in a society or any type of society. So if you go against the common belief, and I'm not saying it's always good to go against the common belief. Sometimes it's also very important to go with it. Um, but sometimes I think if you really want to disrupt something, you have to go against some some kind of um, common common standings. And that's what I have seen with, with a lot of successful companies which really transformed industries. Um, have done before um, doing that step um, being the owner of that as well I think um, makes you very vulnerable in, in terms of gives the opportunity to, to tell everyone if it doesn't work uh, well of course it didn't work because you know it was this and this and that so I think that takes a lot of courage um, and that's why I would pick it great then thank you very much Nilsen for, for sharing all these insights into Nomoko how you got started and uh, and your tips and advice to, to all your fellow entrepreneurs so lastly uh, kind of where can people find more about um, about you or about about Nomoko if they're interested our website is still um, very um, sparsely filled with information because we're still in, in sort of stealth mode um, there's going to be a lot of movement on that front I think we're going to be have a lot of movement on our LinkedIn page as well um, on my personal LinkedIn profile as well. I'm going to be sharing a lot of information over the next couple of months. Um, I, I started to become very active on Instagram because we have a visual uh, topic. So that's very kind of, <laughs> it's very nice to share um, stuff there. I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere with my with my personal name. So just my official name, Nilsson um, Kufus as a, as a name. Follow us on all different channels. And I think our podcast is a very good uh, good sources of information at the at the very I think that's the, the the medium where we have the most content shared. Cool, yeah. Then uh, all the best for you and uh, and your endeavors and to Nomoko in the future. And uh, thank you very much for taking your time today. Thank you very much as well. Hey, Remo here again. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and you got some good takeaways from Nielsen. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you quickly head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and quickly give the Leap Takers podcast a five-star rating. This tremendously helps me to get higher in the rankings and it only takes a few seconds. So that would be great. You will be rewarded with great future guests and my eternal thanks to you. <laughs> Apart from that, you can find me on leaptakers.com as well as on all channels like Twitter, under the handle the Remo Keyboards, as well as on Instagram. Just type in my name as well. It should pop right up. For feedback or suggestions for future guests, or if you just want to say hi, you can find the contact form as well on the website. And I'd be happy to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, bye-bye.